Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a, in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. We ask Heavenly Father that in the application of these scriptures today, the gospel might be seen. Yes. We pray that you would touch our hearts with the, uh, the end result of the incarnation of the Son of God. Save souls, we pray, in Jesus' power, and for his sake, amen. amen. You may be seated. For the last month or so, this year, every year, I suppose, we are inundated with these cliches. Often they're used as, as battle cries. They're on Christmas cards, they're in Christmas carols, we hear people repeating them, they are ubiquitous. In addition to the common greetings, season's greetings, Merry Christmas, that sort of thing, we hear and, such, hear and see such things as, let's put Christ back into Christmas. Let's celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. Come experience the magic of Christmas, etc., etc. What do these things mean? For example, how many def definitions are there to the spirit of Christmas? What is the spirit of Christmas? Is it the Holy Spirit? And what is the magic of Christmas? Is magic even a Christian word? Should Christians use that word? Uh, is there a, rem a remote reference at all to Christ in the magic of Christmas? And what is it to welcome, welcome Christmas into your heart? Is that the same thing as asking Jesus into your heart? Is there salvation in either one of those phrases? And which Christ do people want to put back into Christmas? Are those words directed toward the people who uh, speak of Xmas? Or are they talking about some other kind of Christmas? Even in speaking of Christ, most of those people aren't referring to the return of the Son of God. Let's put Christ back in Christmas. They're referring to the, bear, the baby of Mary, with often emphasis on Mary and uh, this baby that she has. Nine times out of ten, the people who talk about the true meaning of Christmas 
go on to talk about the importance of the family, getting together, being charitable to people who are in need, partying. Why is it necessary for the police to step up their vigilance against drunk drivers at Christmas time? Isn't it because we are celebrating Christmas as a society? It's not my purpose to get negative. It may sound like that. That's not my intention this morning. But the true meaning of Christmas is Christ's Mass. The term is of Catholic origin, referring to one of their most important days on the ecclesiastical calendar. In many Catholic churches, the Mass is sacrificed three times on December 25th. Just at midnight, then early in the morning, and then later in the day. According to their own literature, in the Holy Mass, the sufferings of God's people are caught up into the infinite act of Christ's offering. But they're not talking about the cross. They're talking about what the priest does with the bread and the wine. Catholic literature tells us that the first of the great powers of the priests is to offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass. That's their first job as priests. Catholics are dependent on their priests to offer these, this sacrifice constantly, week after week, if not day after day, in order to deal with their Catholic sins. In addition to the hundreds of other times the Mass is sacrificed during the year, many hundreds of times, the special Christmas Mass is carried out on a December day, which almost assuredly was not the birthday of Christ Jesus. Nevertheless, nevertheless, should we throw out the newborn baby just because it's uh, laying there in some dirty bathwater? Despite not being on December 25th, the fact is, unto us has been born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That is a fact. Not Peter, not Paul, not even the Lord Jesus commanded us to celebrate this day. And yet, the scriptures give us description after description with several details given to us in regard to the birth of Christ. In other words, if we find it in three chapters in the Word of God, we need to deal with it from time to time. And if there were people who came to our service today, unfortunately they're not, who came to hear a message on Christmas, I'm going to tell them about Christmas both the truth and the application of the truth. Sadly, we don't have those visitors here today. But rather than a simple examination of the details of Jesus' incarnation or the Son of God's incarnation, this morning I would like to bring to your attention some of the hidden messages that are in this account. They're not esoteric, they're not mystical you have you can't you, you, 
It doesn't require special glasses to find these hidden messages. That they're there, just not prominent in the average uh, Christmas uh, service. Let's just put it that way. For a moment, forget about those cliches to which I referred earlier. Let's dive below the surface just slightly and pull up some application. Basically, I'd like to use the birth of Christ as an opportunity to share with you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the hidden messages in the Christmas story is that time is fleeting. What? Time is fleeting. Paul told the Christians in Galatia, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Doesn't Galatians 4 put the birth of Christ into its proper context? Jesus was, excuse me, Christ, I guess I could say Jesus was born. Jesus was born in order to die, that we might have eternal life. Galatians tells us so. Christ was born to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The angel told Joseph to name the Son of God Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, not in being born, but in dying. Unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We'll come back to this in just a minute. But what I want to highlight right now is Paul's reference to the fullness of time. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Just lying underneath the incarnation of the Son of God is a revelation that the triune God has a calendar. The birth of Christ came at the time which the Holy Spirit had previously predicted, that's not the right word, described, detailed, in its details. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, including Adam and Eve. And those two, our first parents, sinned against the Lord. But God knew what he was doing from the very beginning, and the fact is the clock was already ticking. So time passed over Noah, and Abraham, and David, and Daniel, and all those in the Old Testament, until the precise moment of God's design. And in the fullness of the time, God sent his son at the right moment yep, yep. to redeem, yep. to redeem. And just as Mary's delivery came exactly when God prescribed it, a myriad of other events on that divine calendar have taken place at the exact moment God intended them to take place. With each passing day, appointments have been met and are being met. And important events are inching closer and closer and closer like the return of Christ for his saints, like the beginning of the tribulation, 
just as guaranteed as the birth of Christ was the scheduled death of Christ. Furthermore, so is your death. Just as appointed as Jesus' death and Jesus' birth. It's on God's calendar. You're going to die. He knows exactly when. I don't. I don't. On the Lord's calendar, you have an appointment to stand before God, and you will keep that appointment. You may choose not to, but you don't have any choice. And what will be the purpose of that special meeting as you stand before the Lord? And as it was appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 27. That time is marching on is one of the hidden messages in the coming of Christ at the right moment. And you are included in that process of minutes and hours. I plead with you. Be prepared. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to get ready for that appointment. It is a guaranteed appointment. Turn to the Lord who was born at the right hour and who will be judge at that correct hour. Turn to the one who came to redeem them that were judged by the law. That we might... That we might become children of God. I'll come back to that. A second not so hidden item in this veiled message is that the past, the present, and the future are intertwined, are linked. Matthew 1 records the message which God gave to Joseph, Mary's future husband. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Message of the angel to Joseph. At that point, Matthew, the gospel penman, the editor, if you like, added, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, uh, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The incarnation of Christ was linked to the past by a variety of prophecies. Including this one about the virgin birth. There are other prophecies about where he was to be born. There are prophecies about the time in which he would be born. It was all there. Also, there are prophecies about when Emmanuel, this God with us, sits upon his throne of judgment. We have the past linked to that present and it's linked to the future all together underneath this story of the birth of Christ. The fulfilled prophecy about Jesus' birth in the city of David, Bethlehem, is no more important 
and no more guaranteed than the promise that he is coming again in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that reject or obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Past, present, future, all linked. Many of our neighbors today and tomorrow will spend a brief moment considering the birth of Christ. And perhaps they have been raised in a Christian society so that for many, many years they spent a few minutes every Christmas thinking about the birth of Christ. But in addition to the prophecies and the fulfillments involved in the Incarnation, they need to step beyond that and consider those other promises, those other prophecies. They are all linked together. One has been fulfilled. It means the rest are going to be fulfilled as well. They, in those future promises, those future prophecies, those may not be as pleasant as thinking about when Jesus was born. Another hidden message in Christmas is that heaven and earth are intertwined. Not only past, present, and future, but heaven and earth. It is strange, but not unexpected, that Christians, or excuse me, that Christmas is a big celebration in Japan. Japan has Christians. 1% of the population of Japan, I understand, it claims to be Christian. And yet Christmas is huge in Japan. And Christmas is big in countries where Buddhism and other world religions are predominant. Austin was telling the man yesterday that in Turkey, they have Christmas music playing this time of year. Turkey is a Muslim country. I saw on the news the other day, last yesterday, day before yesterday, uh, that the, the mayor of Bethlehem, a Jew, said, we can't celebrate Christmas this year because of the circumstances. So the, the Jews celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and even though the average Hindu would deny that Jehovah is the creator, and even though the average Muslim or Buddhist would deny that Jesus is the second person of the, the Trinity, he still might celebrate Christmas in the same manner that the average secular American right. practices or celebrates Christmas. Right. It's secular. Secular. But the birth of the Son of God was not simply a secular event. It was not just a physical arrival of a child. That day was, is not like the 4th of July. It's not another Labor Day when we get to have, we're off work that day. In the incarnation, we see heaven interacting with earth. Mm. Heavenly beings ministering to earthly creatures. For example, one day when young Mary was going about her business, whatever it was, washing the dishes. Maybe she was in her personal devotions. Don't know what she was doing, we're not told. In stepped the angel Gabriel. Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women. Heaven came to visit this young lady. When Gabriel told her that she would bring the Savior into the world, she replied, but I'm not even married. No problem. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And later, when her espoused husband was told that Mary was expecting a baby, he considered a, a private divorce, putting her away. But then the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, telling him to proceed with the rest of the wedding. And Mary shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Heaven interacted with Joseph. It's almost too foolishly obvious to say, but in the coming of Christ into this world, we have a direct connection between heaven and earth. And by extension, we should be reminded that there is always that connection between heaven and earth. Jehovah is not some deistic God who created the universe before climbing a hill and sitting under a gourd to watch what happens down on earth like Jonah did. The Bible doesn't teach any sort of theistic evolution where God struck a couple of stones together and it sparked a little bit of life and then he stepped back and said, Mother Nature, you can take it from here. The Lord has been involved in everything, every moment since, I feel so foolish, since creation. Ah, he spoke with Adam and Eve in the garden. It was he who sent them out of the garden. Jehovah decreed that the world would be destroyed by a worldwide flood, and it was. God called Ur, God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. It was God who, who uh, uh, wrestled with Jacob. It was the Lord who, who uh, encouraged uh, Elijah and who protected Daniel and his friends. The Lord has been a part of every earthquake that's ever struck this earth. And every hurricane has been directed by him. Every hailstone has been guided by his hand. And every good crop and every uh, moist spring has been at his command. The Lord has been a part of everything. Yes. When, when Paul was preaching to the intellectuals in Athens, he said that God created the world and all things that are therein. And some of those intellectuals probably didn't actually believe that sort of thing, but Paul just stuck his neck out and said, that's the way it is. He declared that God is the sovereign Lord of both heaven and earth. He told those heathen unbelievers, those infant evolutionists, in God we live and move and have our being. Just as Jehovah created all things, and that all is in this world, that are in this world, are sustained and maintained by him, 
There is an intertwining of heaven and earth today. And if that connection was ever broken, creation would be gone in less than an instant. Heaven's messenger told Mary, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. A very special heavenly, earthly interaction resulted in the birth of Christ, the Son of God. If Mary's first child had been Joseph's child as much as hers, that baby would not have been called God's son. Joseph had nothing to do with the conception of Jesus. Jesus was miraculously conceived in the womb of a virgin. Jesus was the son of God, not of any man. He is the son of God and always has been. That is the only way this miraculous working of God upon earth, that's the only way that the Son of God could come to this earth miraculously. The Holy Spirit and Mary. But the Bible tells us there are many other sons of God. Other children of God beyond the Lord Jesus. Paul, in writing to the Christians at Rome, said, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God, uh, joint heirs with Christ. He said to the Galatians, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Paul told the Christians in Philippi, They were blameless and harmless, the sons of God. John shouted joyful praise. Behold what manner of love God hath bestowed upon us. The Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The point is, only because of God's heavenly grace has there ever been any son of God upon earth. Jesus, the Son of God, you and me, children of God. Yep. It's miraculous. Yes, amen. But Mary admitted her helplessness in the matter of Jesus' birth. This is another of the not-so-hidden messages coming out of the incarnation story. Mary said, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel replied that the Holy Spirit would take care of it. It was only that Mary had to be Mary. And in a similar way, how is it possible that a murderer like Paul could eventually say, I'm a child of God? How could Peter, uh, an unbelieving blasphemer at one point, how could he be a child of God? How could Levi, probably a thief, in his younger days. How could he be a child of God? It's somewhat parallel to Mary. There's only one way to become a child of God. Through the ministry of the God of heaven upon an earthly human being. There's only one way of salvation for the sinner. Through the operation of the Holy Spirit upon the 
the dead spirit of that individual. Yes. Salvation comes only through God's blessing on the preaching of the gospel yes, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just about every aspect of the birth of Christ was miraculous, except for Mary's pain and the delivery. The conception and the birth was ordained in eternity past. It was prophesied through the Old Testament, including many, many details. With Satan fully understanding what God was intending to do, did everything in his power to stop it. But there was, he was powerless before the power of God. Salvation comes only through God's blessing on the heart of the individual. Miraculously, Christ came, and even more miraculously, I am today a child of God. The grace of the Lord, the power of the Lord. That any one of us should be called children of God is miraculous. How shall this be? Mary said, how shall this be? How shall I be saved? Seeing I'm such a wicked, persistent, incessant sinner. How can it be? To that the Lord replies, his angels reply, the evangelists reply, trust, surrender yourself to God, and it will take place. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Don't worry about the details, he'll take care of that. John 1 contains a wonderful commentary on the story of Christ's birth. In speaking about Jesus, the Son of God, the Apostle says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Eventually, the Creator, the Son of God, came to His creation. He became incarnate. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. You and I have no more natural ability to enjoy God as His children than Mary had, naturally speaking, to bring the Son of God into the world. But with God, all things are possible. One more message in this incarnation is the account of the, the blending or the development of fear into joy. And there are in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Can you imagine the terror which first filled the hearts of those shepherds? They were in one of the fields where David kept his father's sheep a few centuries before that. 
They were not in a shelter or a sheepfold because apparently the temperature was warm. It was not December. They were drowsy in the middle of the night. Maybe some of them were even asleep. Dark sky above them, pierced only with a few stars, planets, maybe the moon was there. Then all of a sudden, directly over their heads, and perhaps only on that particular field, there was a light as though the Lord had thrown open a door of heaven and, and the glory of God was shining down on them. How could those men not have been afraid? This had never happened before. But then God's angel, probably Gabriel once again, told them they had nothing to fear. Then he shared with them the Reader's Digest version of the gospel. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Did those shepherds have reason to fear? Yes, they did, initially. If they assume this miraculous light came from the Lord, I can definitely understand the source of their fear. Perhaps the words of God to Moses burst into their hearts. Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Or maybe it was Moses' words to Israel. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire? As thou hast heard and live? Why can't we see the face of Jehovah? Because he is holy and we aren't. Right. Simply put, we're sinners. We would be consumed by that glory and that holiness. Gobbled up like a fire. But then came that gospel message. The shepherds obeyed the angel and went to the place where Mary's baby lay wrapped in swaddling clothes. They saw that babe, but perhaps by faith, they also saw their Savior. They were told that he was the Savior. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And what was it that they were told? That this child was the Savior, their Savior, if they would humbly trust him. One of the not-so-hidden messages in the story of Christ's incarnation is the gospel message. The Son of God came into this world to give his life a ransom yes. for many. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Here's my point this morning. It's just about noon. Christmas means nothing, absolutely nothing, if the Christ who is born in that stable is not now your Lord and right. Savior. He was born in order to die. He came into this world to give his life as a sacrifice to God the Father that you and I might have eternal life as children of God. 
Look beyond Christmas. Look toward eternity. Are you prepared to meet Christ Jesus in that day when he sits upon his judgment throne? When the book of life is open, that book which records the names of all God's children, when the book of life is opened, will your name be found written there? Near the conclusion of the Bible are the words of Revelation 20, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Perhaps this is not the message the average person wants to hear at, at Christmas, but it's a part of the, part of the account. Yes. It's a part of the history. Which Christ are you worshiping today? The helpless babe or the sovereign God and Savior? Are you kneeling before the manger or are you kneeling before the cross? As sinful children of Adam, we need a Redeemer. We need a new birth that we might be the children of God. Is Christ Jesus your Savior today? Or is He the theme of a bunch of Christmas cards sitting on your mantle? Is He the theme of a bunch of hymns and Christmas songs that are played at, uh, at Starbucks when you get your coffee in the morning? Is He the theme of a bunch of Christmas cliches? Is He your Savior? Or is He these other things? Please stand.